listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. What's up, everyone? Recording this on a Wednesday. Before we jump into things, don't forget, subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. We got two episodes coming at you most of the weekdays. Uh, Anthony Irwin show and a bunch plus the rest of our lineup. Uh, you could do that on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, you name it, we're there. And of course, check out silverscreenandroll.com for all your Lakers needs. Unfortunately, the season is over, but lots of interesting things can happen during the offseason. Joining me to discuss a couple of topics. My, are you going to be my regular? Are we going to be regular co-hosts now on Wednesday, Sabrina? Is that going to be the plan? Or are you just going to only want to talk to me when you feel like it and then just get rid of me in the weeks in between? You know, I can already tell you that next Wednesday is probably not going to happen because the Clippers are playing. So we'll we'll just keep playing it by your chance. There you go. Thank you. Thank you, Sabrina. That's right. You know what? I'm used to it by now. Doesn't only want to talk to me maybe once or twice a month, no more than that. So we get it, right? <laughs> uh, first topic to try, try, touch on, uh, LeBron James. He's going to switch from number 23 to number six next season. Uh, this was reported originally by The Athletic. So basically, uh, if you don't know about it, he initially was going to do that when AD came over. Uh, they had some sort of manufacturing dispute with Nike, so the swap never happened. Now he's going to be able to do it. AD still planning on sticking with number three. Of course, though, LeBron, and we saw this while he was, you know, at his, uh, at, after the, the, um, the loss to the Suns when he was speaking to the media. And he was, you know, he plugged Space Jam, taking on the Toon Squad. He's gearing up for that game. And so, he, you know, he's wearing number six in Space Jam. What do you make of all this? Is this like, is this the first time we're seeing LeBron just go totally corporate and being like, you know what, forget this. I'm just going to do what what makes more, get, going to get more money into my pocket? I'm sorry, the first time LeBron has gone totally corporate? I've seen it with the Lakers <laughs> that he's been super corporate. Yeah, I haven't seen him be like this since he joined LA. That's in my opinion. But there, what other instances can you think of? I mean... You know, I, I feel like a lot of his his branding is very corporate interest at heart. But, you know, I, I just think it's fun. Like, he wore number six when he was in Miami. He obviously wears number six when he's in practice. It sort of just signifies, like, a different phase of his career, right? So I'm, I'm all for it. If he wants to wear number six, it's obviously very well-timed with Space Jam. But the fact that he wanted to do it last year gives me, like, a little more, you know, comfort in the fact that LeBron actually does want to wear this number. It's not just about timing it with a rollout of Space Jam. It was something that he wanted to do for Anthony Davis anyway. So that makes it seem a little less completely greedy, money shilling, thing like that. <laughs> why didn't you just, I, but why, why wouldn't he just go with six in the first place? I mean, if, if, if that's what he wanted to do, I mean, now it's like, you're going to switch anyways, right? Like you, you, you couldn't like when done... he came to the Lakers. Yeah. Because I, I understand obviously AD wasn't here that season, but it's like, okay, that was the welcoming gift is I'm going to, you weren't that attached to it in the beginning. So if you were going to switch to number six anyways, why wouldn't you just do it to start? You know, that's, that's a very good point. Um, maybe he wanted to give it to Anthony Davis when he started filming space jam because he did film, the summer before Anthony Davis joined the Lakers, right in 2019. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, now that you mention it, it is, it is entirely all tied to Space Jam because he wears number six in Space Jam and you like to I'm trying to think if there was a number six when LeBron came to Los Angeles who like was going to prevent him from taking it, but- I Well, mean, if LeBron all, wanted number six, LeBron? yeah, yeah, right, right. who was going to prevent um, But secondly, like uh, Jordan Clarkson had already been traded to Cleveland, so that wasn't an issue. And uh, Lance Stevenson wore it that year, but we definitely signed Lance Stevenson after LeBron James. So yeah, I mean, maybe 
yeah, I, I can't really figure that out. This is this is entirely time with Space Jam, isn't it? There's no there's no good vibes with this at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean seriously, who who is gonna who is gonna say no to him? You know, Michael Beasley or Isaac Bonga? Like you know, in the course, they would have been like, take the damn number, LeBron, if you want it. You know what I mean? But yeah. uh, I agree with you. This is just like a, a corporate thing. But Christian did bring up a good point when he wrote about it in uh, on SilverScreenRoll.com. You can check out the article there. And he, he says at the end, he's like, if, if LeBron wins another championship while wearing number six, does that mean the Lakers would retire two numbers for him if they plan on doing one? Like, does he automatically get 23 retired because he bought a ring to LA already? Yes. He was the finals MVP in number 23. That jersey is getting retired by the Lakers. 100%. 100%. Okay. So you think if he does it twice, like Kobe's was different because he won three and then two. So if, if LeBron goes like right. one and one, does he earn the right to have two different numbers retired? I'm going to say that if he is finals MVP again with number six, they will retire it. That's it. You're just, you're, you're hundred percent. That's like Jeannie bus has told you this already. That's how, that's how set. Yeah, you, you know, are. I just, the, the Lakers <laughs> love LeBron James. Jeannie loves LeBron James. And I just can't see a way where they wouldn't recognize the fact that he single-handedly raised them out of irrelevance this decade. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you got to recognize that. Um, well, well, I was I'm say all for it. You know, if, if it means, LeBron winning another final semi PM. I'm on board with that. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, as long as Genie's puppy has a, a big, you know, he reveres LeBron because that means that we don't have to see Kyle Kuzma shoot 20 shots a game anymore as soon as he arrives. So that was probably the, the good trade off for it. I'm with you. I'm all for it. It's all, it's all kind of fun and games. I, have you been like, are you big on like the jersey numbers, like the traditionalness? I mean, Jordan to me will always be the number 23 that obviously symbolizes that. But everybody else, I'm kind of like, have fun with it and pick whatever number you kind of want. You know what I mean? Yeah, I always thought it was interesting that like back in 2009, LeBron said that the league should just retire the number 23 out of deference to Jordan. And then he went back and wore it for another five years. Um, so, I mean, I don't really know how to feel about that. I don't also like because I didn't play like a ton of youth basketball growing up, the whole bigs wearing low numbers doesn't really bother me that much. So like Anthony Davis wearing number three is totally fine. Mm -hmm. uh, I do like the idea of all of these single digit numbers because then you can like put lineups together that are just a sequence of numbers like if AD is wearing three and LeBron's wearing six, then you could get a lineup that's like two, three, four, five, six on the Lakers where it's, uh, you know, well, actually, I don't know if you want to keep Andre Drummond, but you could get uh, someone could wear two or seven next year. And then you could get Anthony Davis, Alex Caruso, Taylor Horton, Tucker, LeBron, and a fifth person who wears number two or seven. And it's like a, a straight flush on the Lakers, mm -hmm. which that mm -hmm. very much appeals to me. Why does that appeal to you? Just kind of the coolness of it all, that they're all sequential? Just, there? It looks pleasing to me. Okay. okay. All right. We're getting to know what's important to Sabrina when a game of basketball and what isn't. That's good to know. Sequential numbers for the players on the on the court. Maybe they should just tell all the players to go one through five and then six through 10 and then 11 and 12. That would make it easier too. It really would. I don't know why we don't do that. I mean, like <laughs> I'm thinking about like international soccer. They're yeah. all required to wear one to 23 and it's just easier. It is easier, actually. I, I, I'm with you on that. Moving on to more important things, because that was a fun more fun. important thing. Yeah, yeah. What else could be more important than LeBron switching from 23 to six? But uh, again, Christian wrote about this, and it kind of uh, brings up a good point when looking at next season's roster. We know the Lakers don't have a ton of flexibility, just given their cap situation and, and kind of looking at the way the roster is constructed. Uh, six players on guaranteed contracts next season: Andre Drummond, Montrezl Harrell, most likely. I, I'm saying out of the groups that are viable that they're most likely going to move on because they don't have their bird rights but two guys that they do are, are a pair of guards Alex Caruso and Dennis Schroeder so I wanted to ask you this uh the Lakers again have full bird rights on there so they can go further into the luxury tax if they want to re-sign them that's totally fine they're not going to get dinged for it but 
when you look at these two, let's just say, put your GM hat on your, your Rob Palenka. If you had to pick one and like you, let's just say that you had to allocate funds either to Caruso or Schroeder or the other guy was going to walk, who would be your, your preference to resign out of the two of those? It would definitely be Alex Caruso. I just trust his decision-making more than I do with Dennis Schroeder, both on and off the court. And other than the fact that he also wears number four, which as we established <laughs> means a lot That's to me. Very important. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, for one, like there's just been a somewhat of like a mercenary feel to the Lakers over the last couple of seasons with the amount of turnover that has happened on this roster. And I like the idea that Caruso has been with the organization for four years now, right? Like two of them were mostly with South Bay, but he's been with the Lakers for four years. And I like the idea of having an internal development success story. So for one, there's just like a very romantic aspect to that. And then secondly, we've talked about this before, but like nobody is better at amplifying what LeBron James does than Alex Caruso. Literally in the history of LeBron James teammates, Alex Caruso is, is the best at playing next to him. And I know this was a very hit or miss season for Alex. Like he was never quite healthy. He had to go out with health and safety protocols for a little bit. He got that concussion. I mean, obviously the playoffs were not a ringing endorsement of what Alex Caruso brings to the Lakers, but I still believe that in terms of finding a player who just fits next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you're going to have a hard time creating just like a better mold than Alex Caruso. And I also think he's going to be a lot more affordable than what Dennis Schroeder is going to get. So if it came down to one or the other, I think Caruso is the way you go. When you look at like, what is the, how would you want to look at, let's just say hypothetically in your like situation that they, they elect to, to pick Caruso again, we're not saying that's, that's the case. We're just, you know, right. Cause they options. technically could just keep both and pay they a lot of luxury tax. Yeah. 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 And then they could, they could do that as well. But I mean, I think that with, with Schroeder, like you're giving up the playmaking, but if you look at the underlying numbers, like, uh, Caruso, obviously one of the best defensive ratings in the league. Uh, mm -hmm. Also, his net rating was much higher. But if you look at the offensive rating, uh, Schroeder, not too much ahead of, of Alex Caruso. It's only a difference of 3.6 per 100 possessions between the two. But when you look at the, the obviously the difference in the playmaking ability, what, like, how would you, would you, do you think that Caruso might be able to add some element of that? Or is he what he is at this point? I'm not super confident in Caruso being able to add more playmaking to his arsenal than what he already has. Um, I, I do think that him being a more confident spot up shooter is probably the best way of increasing his offensive value. Just if he can even be guarded out on the perimeter, that just opens up a whole nother world of possibilities for what the Lakers can do in the paint. So for me, like for Caruso to improve his offensive value it really comes from the shooting, not so much the ball handling. But I think if you're going to have a playmaking deficit, then that's where Taylor Horton Tucker comes into play. Mm -hmm. So the way I see it is it's sort of like, can you pick two out of the three guards to go forward with among Schroeder, THT and Caruso. And I like the idea of keeping Taylor because just for, first of all, like his upside is entirely untapped, right? Like we have no idea what he could possibly become. He shows flashes of just being able to get downhill against any defense. Like he can finish at ridiculous angles I know he's already talked about how he wants to become an automatic shooter this offseason, which cross your fingers, that would be very, very exciting. Um, so yeah, I, I think like if you're going to have that creative deficit from losing, losing Schroeder, the way you make up for it is not with Caruso. It's by also keeping THT, who is another free agent, although he is restricted. Yeah, and then they, they should be able to. I, I don't think THT is going to go anywhere unless he gets a, you know, they somehow get a ridiculous sign-in trade that they, they can't say no to. But I, I'm with you on the fact that I love what he brought. And I've been mentioning this for the last couple of seasons. Anytime I I've, I've watched the, you know, watch Lakers and, and he's out in the court. 
Um, I just love what he brings and, and it's just the way his game has grown and he looks like a total creator. He's not the fastest guy, but he just seems to get open when he's, when he's attacking the rim, uh, his body movement, the way he finds teammates. I think he's a guy that can really in the next two seasons, take a major leap. Again, I'm not going to call him an all-star, but to put him at a guy at the same level as, as somebody like Dennis Schroeder, like around there, I can definitely see that, see that happening. So that's one way I, I would try and look at it too. Cause if you bring back, uh, just Caruso or, or overshooter, let's say, and then you have THT, you're going to hope that he takes the leap. But again, I mean, this team overall is going to be kind of stuck with what they could, they could really do. Is there any other Avenue you think the Lakers can pursue to maybe add some talent in the off season or try and change things around? Or is the core of the roster pretty much all going to be what we're what we saw at the end of the, at the end of the playoffs. So what's interesting is like so many of us went into this season thinking that this was a, just tremendously talented Lakers roster and that they were the favorites to repeat and they had everything they needed at their disposal to win a championship. And I haven't really changed from that. Um, I have a little less confidence in the, you know, availability of LeBron James and Anthony Davis than I did a year ago when things kind of all went according to plan in that 2019, 20 season, which is a very strange thing to say in a season that was disrupted by a global pandemic and had to be finished in a bubble. I realized that irony of saying that, but in terms of them being healthy, like, I just, I don't know that I believe in their ability to stay healthy as much as I did a year ago. And that's really where the difference is. But the problem is like, there's no upgrades that you can make on the roster. That's going to make up for the fact that like Anthony Davis is missing for a game. There's just literally no way to do that. So I kind of think that the Lakers should just stick what they have, you know, keep the homegrown talent, like the Kyle Kuzma's, the Taylor Norton Tucker's, the Alex Caruso's of the world and just hope that they have a less road bump season, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, yeah, you're right. And that, that, you know, the 70, what is it, 71 day break that they had between the two seasons, I, you know, and you see that you look at the numbers for what happened to the teams that were in the conference semifinals this year versus the teams that aren't like the, the, the turnover that you had with that. Uh, I think that shows a lot of the fact that, yeah, the injuries and, and the, the lack of, you know, rest time that they had in between. I think that had a huge impact on it. And, you know, we've, we've said this before, and I think we pretty much all said it across the network that if LeBron James and Anthony Davis were healthy for all 72 games, the Lakers go into that as a one or two seed, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Maybe behind Utah and things turn out a whole lot different. So I don't think they have a ton that they need to necessarily change. I just think that fine tuning the roster. And again, depending on what happens with Caruso and, and, and Schroeder and guys like that. And when I ultimately don't think, I don't think Montrez Harrell will be back. I think Andre Drummond, I, much to the uh, dismay of, of Lakers fans, I will say might be back, but I mean, other, other than that, like, yeah, you're going to have to fine tune it and they'll have their exceptions that they can work with to try and bring in one or two guys in the vets. Like, you know, Wesley Matthews or a guy who's at the end of his career, maybe ring chasing who can still contribute. So I think it'll be interesting to see how Palenka and LeBron James, cause LeBron, let's be honest, has a say in everything that the Lakers do will proceed this summer. Uh, I want to jump into a couple more things that are general NBA talk. We'll do that after a short break. All right, and we're back. I uh, wanted to jump into the Nikola Jokic MVP. Uh, second place in the in the voting was Joel Embiid. Steph Curry finished third, but had five for overall first place votes. We'll put him behind Jokic in that category. Uh, did you agree with the fact that Joker was hands down the MVP? Yeah, totally. I mean, I kind of uh, kind of hate that like everybody puts out their own ballot and makes it seem like you know one person is the obvious choice, and then we get less. Uh, variability let's say among the voters so mm -hmm. it seems like there's been a lot of blowouts among these big awards recently than in past years but yeah i mean like the mvp always comes from a top three seed the nuggets snuck into that you know by the skin of their teeth at the end of the regular season 
Uh, Jokic obviously played 72 games. Offensively, his impact is just undeniable. The way that he carried that team, even in the absence of Jamal Murray at the end of the year, like there's just not enough good things to say about him. He's one of those guys where you watch him play and are just constantly in awe of the things that he's able to do on the court. So um, I'm a big fan of Nikola Jokic. I think, you know, Denver team is a whole lot of fun to watch and it starts and ends with him. And he obviously is the reason that they are in the second round of the playoffs. So yeah, totally fine with the Nikola Jokic pick. Um, it's very cool to see like Serbian player. I think he was the first one to win the MVP mm-hmm. first second round pick to win the MVP. Yeah. Very cool barriers being broken in terms of NBA history. Yeah. He's, I love watching him play too. I think he's awesome. Um, did, did he deserve the MVP for the season? Sure. But I think we have to kind of maybe better define what most valuable player means because have we ever it, defined what it means? I know. I mean, I'm just saying if this is an argument that happens probably every, every single time the award comes out, but it's an honest thing, the way I look at it, like, okay, if it's going to the most valuable player to his team, which by definition it is not, you know, and then in the league uh, you're looking at two different things because to me, and again, I understand why Jokic won it, and I'm not arguing about it. I mean, he had a, a historically great season, especially for a big man. But to me, it's like if you take Steph Curry off the Warriors, that's like a, a 15-win team. Like, they they would have been terrible without Curry, like we saw last season. So to me, I think that maybe should have got some more weight. But I, I think I understand. It's like – and this is one thing I was actually questioning because I was watching, like, part of the interruption earlier, and Michael Wimbon was, was going off and almost – blew a gasket when he was talking about why Jokic is the MVP. And again, I, I'm not arguing with the fact that Jokic won it, but do you think it would be beneficial for the league to either say, Hey, we're going to have players vote for who the most valuable player is. Uh, and then, or, cause this is what the NHL does is they have like the heart trophy is given to the most valuable player, according to the media. And then they have the Ted Lindsay award, which is given to the players association who they decide and you get different winners you know, not most years, but some years you do. So do you think the NBA should look at maybe doing that? Like MVP, according to the players and name it, you know, the Michael Jordan award or the Larry Bird or whatever you want to call it and, uh, and, and do something like that. Or are you happy with the way that the, the current system is set up? I don't think the players should vote on anything. I think their all-star voting shows that they have tremendous amount of disinterest in the process and they make wildly ridiculous uh, votes. So I don't want to give the players any more power <laughs> in voting for these things. I mean, they had a player's award for what, like a year and then decided not to go through with it because it was just a silly alternative. Um, the one thing that I will say that I, I've always wanted that I think the NHL does too, actually, now that you mention it, is instead of just having a finals MVP, I'd rather have an entire playoffs MVP. I think that's a far more interesting award than just yeah. the final five or six games of the season. Yeah, that would be that would be cool. But you think LeBron still would have won it last year, no matter what? You know, I think Anthony Davis actually has a much better chance if we're, you know, extending it throughout the entire playoffs because he got a little bit hurt in the finals and was not at his best, I think, at the end of the season. But like you look at him against the Rockets and the Nuggets and it's I mean, like I had a whole piece planned about who I thought was going to be the playoffs MVP. And then just being like LeBron was so much better in the finals that it was kind of moot. But I I think that's a a far more interesting discussion. Like you also introduce players who didn't necessarily win in the finals because now their value is spread out over all four rounds instead of just one series. So that that's the one award change that I would like to see the NBA make as opposed to players MVPs. Cause maybe the NHL takes it seriously. The NBA does not take these things seriously. Yeah. Again, but maybe they would, I feel like if it was an MVP, like, you know what I mean? Or they have like a, a team vote uh, on their own and they just kind of, you know what I mean? Like they just do it that way. Cause I, again, to me, it's like, you look at the media members and, and this is something that that has happened, not necessarily in recent history, uh, in the NBA, but yeah, you'd have guys who are playing out West. Cause you know, now, I mean, the, the landscape has changed where, 
you got kind of equal representation and we got a 24 hour news cycle. So, so you're always getting updated on stuff, but like uh, if you're looking at the, the this happens again in, in hockey and I'm not, it's apples to oranges, but it's like, you get an East coast bias sometimes. So if, if, you know, guys are watching more, the writers are based on the East coast and they're watching these four four thirty games they are going to give that again, it didn't happen this year with Jokic. So I think there are mm-hmm. reasons that you could change this stuff, but uh, you know, I love what Nikola Jokic brought. I, I again, do I think that, could the would the Nuggets have still been a playoff team? Let's just say Jamal Murray doesn't get hurt and and Jokic is gone in the in the first game. I still think they're a play-in team. How, where do you think they would have finished in the standings? That's a really good question. Um, just because of the way that the the Nuggets are designed, like they're so heliocentric, everything runs through Jokic, so it's hard to imagine what they would look like without him. And like it's not like we have games where he didn't play to have an example because he literally played every single game of the regular season. Um so yeah, I'm just, I'm like struggling to even think what the offense would look like if you weren't running it through Nikola Jokic. Uh, I mean, so for them not to be a play-in team, that would mean that like the Pelicans would have had to pass them. So do I think that the Pelicans are better than the Nuggets without Nikola Jokic? I could see it. I mean, I'm not 100% sure they're a play-in team. I guess, you know, providing that Jamal Murray is healthy the healthy, whole season. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then there's something to it. Um but yeah, I just, I'm not, nothing about the Nuggets really impresses me when Jokic is out the court, so. Nothing, I'll be honest, nothing really impresses me about the Nuggets as a team, even with Jokic on the court. I don't. Oh, I think well, that's where you and I. Yeah, I <laughs> know, I think they're going to, I love, I, I think he's great. I think he's awesome to watch. I just don't think they're a championship contender, even with Jamal Murray. I, don't, I, I didn't see them as one of the top two or, or four teams in the in the league, not even close to it. Uh, let's talk about that too, before we wrap up, the, the NBA playoffs. Uh, what have you made of the Brooklyn uh, Milwaukee series. Sorry, I was going to say Brooklyn, New York. I don't know why I said that, but Bro- Brooklyn, Milwaukee series. <laughs> I was like, I was going to, you know, before game two started and I usually work later, later in the day as do you. So I was like, all right, I can't wait till, till that game comes on. Cause I want, you know, I'll be able to write and pay attention to what's going on. And then it turned into a blowout again. Is it, is, do you think the bucks have any chance of coming back against the nets? Because I've said this before too, on the podcast, I think the nets are coming out of the East. And if you're going to beat them, you're going to have to be able to score 120 points in, in four different games. Otherwise, good luck. Yeah, I, I don't see the the Bucks coming back against this team. I mean, kudos to the Bucks for taking a full calendar year to figure out how to beat the Miami Heat and us thinking that that meant Mike Budenholzer could make adjustments because clearly he cannot. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I just don't have a lot of faith in the Bucks adjusting their game plan for Game Three. And even then, like, how much of a difference is it really going to make when Kevin Durant looks to be the very best player in the league again? on both ends of the floor, which is not something we always say about Kevin Durant in terms of his defensive intensity, but you know, it's, it's pretty simple. A lot of the time, like it comes down to who has the best guy in any series and it's so far and away Kevin Durant right now that it's hard for me to imagine a way that the bucks could get back in the series short of like Kevin Durant, just picking up three touch fouls before he leaves the game in game three. Yeah. And I, I, you know, this, it's going to come down to, to game three, which is happening on, on Thursday, if the if the Bucks don't come out and like I mean obviously if they're down three nothing it's 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 over but I I feel like this unless the Bucks come out and like you know they have a game like Brooklyn had they can't shoot as good as Brooklyn but in terms of they you know jump out to an early lead and kind of win by twenty at the at the end of the at the end of the fourth 
I think it's Brooklyn's going to win a close game. The Bucks just can't score with they're not going to be able to keep up with with Kevin Durant and obviously even now without James Harden like you mentioned. Uh they still have Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, all these guys making plays and if you look at that team like Blake Griffin looks like a t- total renaissance man from what we saw, you know, over the last few seasons. So I I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at Brooklyn to come out of that series. And then what are, what are your thoughts on Philly and and Atlanta? The, the the Sixers won game 2, they're going back to Atlanta for game 3. I ultimately think Philly wins that one and six. Yeah, you know, going into the series, I thought Philadelphia was going to win just, again, based on the best player premise. I think that's Joel Embiid. Uh, I saw some things from Philly that were pretty interesting in game two where in terms of how they were guarding Trey Young, you know, bringing more Ben Simmons and Thibault instead of relying on Danny Green to shoulder such a large responsibility, which Danny Green, wonderful defender, I would say tasking him as the primary defender on a small shifty ball handler is not the way to utilize Danny Green best. So I'm glad Doc Rivers figured that out for game two. I do think this is probably going to go the distance. I would say that this is going to be seven game series, mostly because I don't think Embiid is going to be fully healthy Hmm. until the end of it. And so thus will not be able to, you know, exert his full physical dominance at any point in the series. Uh, But I think Philadelphia has just enough offense to keep up with Atlanta because that team can just get scorched and hot, right? When you got Gallinari and Bogdanovich and Herter and Trey Young and everybody just flowing at all, you know, their like peak levels, it's just really hard to stop that Hawks offense. But I think Philadelphia has just enough. So I think I would go Sixers and seven in that series. Oh, well, you know, and I wouldn't be surprised by that either. I actually love, I like the moves. I don't want to say I loved, I like the moves Atlanta made last off season. And, you know, they, once they hired Nate McMillan, obviously they ended up being a, just a completely different team. I think they're going to be fun to watch the next couple of years. They're going to have to make some moves. They'll have to make a decision on Collins and they're going to have to figure things out. I think to get maybe one more really high end guy next to Trey young, you know what I mean? Like if they want to be a serious contender, but they're, they are going to be a fun team to watch, not just now in the playoffs, but for the next couple of seasons. And I, you know, we'll wrap up on this out West. I mentioned this. I, I think Phoenix is going to beat Denver in, cause I'm not impressed by what I see from the nuggets other than Jokic. I just think they're, they're not okay. I don't want to, again, now I'm, I'm trying to sound like a total hard ass. I don't mean it like that. The nuggets are a good team. Uh, I think they're right where they should be the fourth or fifth best team, maybe in the conference overall, but I think Phoenix is going to win that series in six. What about you? Yeah. I mean, game one uh, sort of disabused me of the fact that Denver could really compete. They just don't have enough perimeter scoring to keep up with Phoenix. And um, they just, the, the sun's offense tests the nuggets weak defenders too much, like in a way that Portland did not, So as much as I like Denver and I thoroughly did not enjoy watching the Suns over the past few weeks, uh, I do think that this is the Suns series to lose just because like Chris Paul is getting healthier. It's just impossible for me to imagine a way that Denver is able to contain him and Devin Booker simultaneously. And when you have a guy in DeAndre Ayton who can basically single cover Jokic, like he's not going to stop him, but he can get you to the point where you don't have to send help. That just cuts off so much of what Denver is trying to do. So unless they have a guard who can create like some offense on his own, which I just don't see how that's going to happen with Murray hurt and Will Barton coming back, you know, from a hamstring strain today, I think uh, still don't have PJ Dozier too, who could actually like help you defend those two other guys. I, I just don't see how they have enough perimeter help to really get Jokic going in this series. So yeah, I, I think this is Phoenix is to lose. I could even see it going five. Really? You think they, they can win it that quick? Yeah. Are you basing that just off the matchups you're seeing? Or like, what, did you notice anything in game one that might make you feel like that's going to happen for sure? Well, I mean, teams usually get in trouble when they have to defend, when they double Jokic. And I just don't see Phoenix needing to do that so long as Aiden stays out of foul trouble. And he only had one foul in game one. 
And like Phoenix is just offering no respect whatsoever to uh, Denver's guards. So when they run a two-man action, they just stay glued to Jokic and force, you know, Compazzo or Rivers or Monte Morris to beat him with jumpers. And like when Monte Morris is going one of 10, like you're just done like that. There's no chance yeah. of you winning a game here. Uh, okay. Final one for you. And I know you, you are very familiar with this team and I know Lakers fan really don't care for the Clippers, but we are going to have to talk about it because they are part of the, uh, the, uh, the conference semifinals at least um that game seven went over dallas i you know i i was expecting the clippers to win i i was i was rooting for the mavericks just because i'm i'm realizing how much i love watching luka Doncic play like i just want to mm-hmm. see him 82 games a season now um but when you're looking at uh you're you're looking at at the clippers in utah i mean the clippers look great obviously for for most of that at first half and then they just ran out of gas and we were kind of messaging about this uh, during the game during the game when they took on utah in game one on tuesday uh what do you like how do you think that's going to play out? I still think, because I wasn't sold on Utah coming into the playoffs. They're starting to sell me now slowly, but surely with how they with how they performed and especially with Donovan Mitchell doing what he's doing. But when you're looking at, at that series, do you think that, that the Clippers have a chance at, at beating Utah? And if so, like what percentage would you give them on a scale of zero to 100? So the fact that the Clippers were right in this game, even though, Paul George was not good, shot four out of 17. Kawhi Leonard, what, picks up three fouls really quickly in the first half and only has 23 points himself. That they got those performances from Kawhi and PG and still only lost by three in a game where, like, they were just gassed. You could tell those guys were, like, huffing and puffing, getting up and down the court, uh, you know, with the altitude and the short turnaround. Obviously, I, like, I think the Clippers would feel better had they gotten a win, but I do think that there is plenty of signs of life for what they can do to slow down Utah. I mean, the fact that, like, I, I obviously don't expect the Jazz to miss, like, 21 shots in a row like they did in the first quarter. So, there, you know, were anomalous events on both sides of the aisle for these teams. I still think that the way the Clippers can shut down the Jazz when they go to their small lineups makes this a tricky series for Utah, especially if Mike Conley continues to be out of the lineup. So, although it wasn't an optimal outcome for the Clippers to start, I still would say that they're, like, 70% favorites to win this series. How do you think they can turn it around? Like, I think the rest will help them. And then, you know, they got, they'll get the extra day off in between when they're, when they're traveling, but they do not actually, it's every other day for the rest oh, of the series. Okay, that, that one, cause they, I'm assuming because the game one, the first one went seven. Is that why the NBA scheduled it like that? Probably. Yeah. Um, so, okay. How do you think they can bounce back against them? Cause I th- like I said, I think they did a lot of good things right in the, in the first half, but is there one player in your particular or one area that you think the Clippers do have an advantage over Utah? Well, for one, I just expect their stars to play better. Like, I know we make a lot of Paul George jokes, and rightfully so, uh, but Kawhi Leonard just doesn't, like, play at this level most of the time, right? Like, Mm -hmm. he put together what I would think is, like, a historically good two-way performance in the first round against Dallas. He had one bad game and then bounced back with 45 in the very next one. So I would expect Kawhi to play at a higher level. And when Kawhi plays at a higher level, that just puts your defense into such a bind because you send help and then you – keep the Clippers shooters open. So that's, that's where I see this turning. It's just Kawhi playing better. You think that Paul George will shoot better than 43.4% that he's shooting right now? So he shot four of 17 in game one, um, three of eight on threes. So that makes him what one of nine from inside the arc. Uh, I would say that has to go up. Okay. And you think you're confident we're not going to see the, the same version of quote unquote playoff P, which is obviously the running joke that we have all the time, but <laughs> Yeah, you know, Paul George is actually very good in that Denver series last year. It just gets, you know, lost to history because of how the Clippers flamed out. But up until game seven, he was good. Let's 
you know, obviously couch that. The one thing that really scares me with the Clippers is just that they're the Clippers, that mm-hmm. they have the weight of this history hanging over them. And if they win, it would be their first conference finals appearance in franchise history. So like, if I'm looking at this as a first round matchup, you know, I would be extremely confident in picking the Clippers, but the fact that winning would put them into the conference finals is really the main thing that keeps me from being confident in them. And that's a fair statement because I know Lakers fans are loving that. They're going to keep picking on it. So, and I'm with you too. The stench of the Clippers is, is, has been very, very hard to remove for that, for that franchise. Um, You know, getting into the conference finals would be a huge feat. So that's why I'm like, I I feel like the Clippers are better on paper. Mm -hmm. It's like, and I I like them actually in seven too. I was going to say that I actually would, would take them to win. Uh, take them to win game two and I think it'll just be even from there but uh, yeah I, I'm with you I, I just think them shaking that and as much as as good as as Paul George is something about him is just not trustworthy in in those kind of games where they need him to step up so I'm not sold on him and I know Lakers fans are all rooting against the Clippers because we don't want to be seeing uh, you know uh, billboards and banners and random things all the way about, you know, LA our way and all this other monkey crap that we don't want to see. So I think Lakers fans are rooting against the Clippers, but you think they'll be able to pull it off. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I think the 70% was probably a little overconfident, but I do think that they are the better team on paper, just not so much the better team on paper. I think that they are well positioned to beat Utah. Just like their strengths are a little more challenging for the jazz to handle and we didn't entirely see all of that because, again, the Clippers were just really so very tired in game one. But even then, like Paul George scores 13 points in the fourth quarter and they have their one shot away from tying the game and sending it into overtime. And like to think if like Marcus Morris just like drives into Rudy Gobert, that's his sixth foul. And then Rudy's not playing in overtime. So it was a very close game for one that I didn't think the Clippers played particularly well in. So I think that there's still plenty of reason to have optimism going forward for them in this series. Yeah, and and you know what, I I I, I that last possession, and again we we're messing. I'm like, did they have not have a timeout? Because I was like, I thought I saw that right, and then you know on the on the display, like the overlay that they have with the score, mm-hmm. and then I was like, then I, I was like, did I miss that or did I not? And I was like, what? And I was like, why wouldn't you call a timeout there? Because they were stuck, and that was poor coaching by Tyron Lue. But again, we got they got a lot of time to figure it out. Uh, we're going to wrap up there for the, for this episode. Before we do, don't forget, subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. we got a couple of podcasts coming at you daily throughout most weekdays, and we'll have you covered at silverscreenandroll.com for all your Lakers needs as we head into a pretty important offseason for the franchise. Sabrina, anything else to add before we bounce? No, I mean, I'm just excited to see what happens here because as much as I miss watching the Lakers, it's kind of interesting to know that none of these West teams have ever won a title. So if it someone can break, that'd be yeah. That'd be it's fascinating. Gonna, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna be cool to see. And there's one more thing I've been harping on this all season. I love seeing the buildings back full again. That game last night had me like edge of my seat to have the volume way up because I love seeing it like this. So glad we're hopefully reaching the end of this pandemic and things will get back to normal sooner or later. That does it for this episode. Don't forget, like I said, subscribe to our podcast network and we'll catch you all next week.